Hey, there he is. is. How are you going? Not yet. Hang on. Good? My internet is still slow as dogs. Hang on one second. The story <laughs> continues. Yeah. Oh, yes. How are you going? I see you're in a, in a very different room, Joe. I am. We're still trying to work out exactly where and how I'm going to do podcasts. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yes. In the new house, at least. Yeah, cool. All right, well, we're going to get into that in a second. Um, and I guess welcome to the show, everyone. So what we've decided <laughs> to do is yes. we we spoke before the show and we said we're gonna we're just going to start recording from the go. So what you guys are hearing is the first time that we've spoken to each other since our last episode. Yep. Usually it's preluded the show by a bit of um, legally uh, dubious chat where we discuss clients <laughs> and things. So yeah, we t- <laughs> we're going to be a little bit careful, Joe. <laughs> I will not. Say bad things. <laughs> I'm just trying to find our last, the date of our last episode. Um, October, was right? Was last that? year. It would have been around there, but it was it was definitely last year. It feels like ages ago. It does. Yep. Whole lots of things have happened. Yeah. So. Joey, you're into well. You you're in the throes of a new house. Yeah, we're yep. we're pretty well in. It's ninety nine percent renovated, and uh, I have a pad of almost have a pad of concrete down for the new workshop. Okay, cool. It's sitting there waiting. Concrete's coming on the twenty seventh, and with the steel and foundations ready just waiting to go so happy days so let's let's uh let's go back to to last year so where i remember us last year you you were i think you you weren't even settled on a property <laughs> when, we, when we when yeah. we talked last year so and i think you've you've dropped off social media a little yep. bit Pretty so much. <laughs> I remember at the end of the, the our last podcast saying, "All right, Joe, we'll talk again next week. Make sure to keep us up to date with what's going on." And then you didn't. <laughs> so, well, I've got no idea what's going on. I kind of did. You know, it's all Brian's fault. It's my fault. Yeah. All right, <laughs> welcome enough. back. I'll take that. <laughs> no, uh, Brian said something in one show. I I feel like it was a show or an after talk or something, and he said something like just post it was about posting work um, I think I was complaining about the type of work I was getting in I know what you're going to say and Brian said something along the lines of just post pictures of the things that of the work you want to do Yep. when you get it obviously then you post it and more of the same thing kind of turns up and it, it kind of struck me and I thought that's such a simple smart thing to do has it worked though? and well yes and no I mean I I, on one hand I thought yeah I might try that and then I was in the throes of just getting all this cabinetry work and I was like well I'm not going to post anything for the next two months by the the look of my work coming in so kind of just turned off all my notifications and just forgot about everything and Mm. it's been been bloody awesome I felt felt great not having to deal with any kind of social stuff Mm. so um and, recent, and then recently I've started getting a whole lot of people saying, where are you? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, they think you've had a mental yes. breakdown or something because you're yeah. not posting on Instagram. <laughs> so I've started tentatively posting some more things, but I'm, I've got some cool things to post. I'm just waiting for... Um, like, you can post stuff immediately, right? As soon mm. as something happens. But actually, sometimes it's better to wait and get the full picture before you you post stuff too early. Yeah and um it's a bit disjointed so i'm just i think i've learned to be a lot more patient with Mm. what i post on social and it doesn't matter if i'm three four months behind before i can actually get a finished picture of something out yep um it's definitely a balance because you you want to stay relevant well when i say you you want to if you want to pursue Mm. it you've got to stay relevant but yeah there are guys out there who post occasionally and they do well because everything's mm. cold. Yeah, I'm definitely not fussed about what happens with my social 
I don't care about numbers. I haven't looked at any of that for ages. Um, and really am posting stuff that when I'm really happy with something, I'll post it when, um, and the same goes for videos. I've just started today filming a video for the first time in, I don't even know, six months or seven months or something. And you've done nothing on the house? No videos on our personal house renovation. I think I will cover some of the shed build, but again, all that's happened so far is we've dug a hole and put some steel in it, and there's you know thirty seconds of a video. So, mm. um, and I haven't actually filmed any of the shed build yet because it still is not to me the actual building of the shed is pretty just it's pretty boring. It's like one minute of a video if you're going to do it. Um, it's what happens inside the shed possibly might be a bit more worthwhile to some people remind us remind just, us Joe what, what size is the shed it's 200 just over 200 square meters All right. so it's a, I think it's 17 by 12 and a half oh, nice. like that. it's a nice size shed mm. I was just watching a video from Scott Turner um, up in Townsville he's sold up moved north and he's just laid a slab and put on a big shed that they're living in and essentially doing what I'm guessing you, you, you've you done. So Yeah, yeah we, we, we do have a separate, we bought a property that has a, um, like a farmhouse on it. We've got mm. five acres and there was, a, there was a not so flat spot which we have turned into a big flat spot which is, um, will be where the workshop is. So quite separate from the house which is perfect. Originally where we we're going to, try and do some weird thing where we live in a giant shed and have half of it at a workshop and and just i remember that yeah yeah but um just nothing really worked out so we actually bought this property without seeing it it was like the the day before we went into lockdown here in auckland that's how long ago that was you're not allowed to use the l word yeah (laughs) that's um, right you'll trigger me we bought it we bought it (laughs) without being able to see it so uh, it's all worked out so that's good (laughs) So what, what's the house like? Is it a what? It's four bed, pretty, three bed. It's it's a three bedroom. It's a hundred. I don't even know how big it is. It's not that big. It's um, one hundred and forty maybe square meters. It's in like a nineteen ninety three built. So everything's a bit dicey. It's yeah, it's not great, but it's it was in a condition where we could buy it for a reasonable price and still replant it, put some insulation in it paint it, build a new kitchen, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, um, have you had any have you had any major material issues? I mean, that's kind of what we spoke about for the last two years, and yeah, I've kind of been we, watching the Scott Brown videos where he's been trying to get plasterboard for his house. Yeah, can't do it. Yeah. Um, we purposely chose to do it this way because we didn't have to build, we didn't have to buy tons and tons of materials. Right. Um, we were able to secure enough sheets of plasterboard and have it stored here before we needed. And I think we, we kind of got the, the, the last pieces that were around in this area. Um, and we tried, we've just built a deck and we couldn't buy any um, structural timber for it. We've had to use like um, fencing grade material. All right. Wow. But we just, you got to do what you got to do if you want to dig. I'm not going to wait around for seven months for someone to cut down a tree. So, <laughs> yeah, Robin, you keen to go halfers on a shipping container full of plasterboard? We'll make our millions selling the keys. Yeah, <laughs> I watched I watched that video from from um, Scott Brown. Yeah, with the milk, and, um, uh, the milk carton one. Fascinating, mm. really interesting. I did, it, it's a pity about the cost. Yeah, because yeah. it it is such a a, a cool solution, but. Yeah, it's, so it's amazing the lengths that people so are going to now. Just to give anybody that hasn't seen the video, it's um, it's called Save Board, I think was the name. And it's made from okay. crushed Tetra Packs, so milk, mm. milk cartons. And uh, I think it's just heat pressed, isn't it? Like there's no binding agent or anything that brings it together. And then they just put paper. I think they now have a product where it's paper on both sides. So it is actually a plasterboard yep. replacement, but it's about double the standard cost of plasterboard. But you can right. buy it. The, the, I think the downside to that, or should I say the downside to the plasterboard situation in New Zealand is that because there's a monopoly, mm. the company Jib have the you monopoly. You talked about that. Um, 
for the last ever, for like as far as I can remember, it's probably from the 60s or 70s. Um, everything to do with the structural element of a house is based around their product, jib board. And most structural bracing in houses is made from jib board, believe it or not. And really? So, yeah. And so um, you can't just bring a product to the market without completely changing how houses are designed. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Everything relies on the bracing units you can achieve by screwing off a sheet of jib at 150 mil centers around the edge and it creates a certain amount of bracing units. But is it just normal jib rocks? Because there's no structural rigidity in a piece of jib <laughs> yeah. rock. Nope. No, they yeah, do put some fibers and stuff in it, but okay, it's so it might completely be ludicrous that all our bracing systems rely on plasterboard where everywhere else in the world seems to do anything else but <laughs> that is bizarre i did not know that no it's pretty crazy the other so thing that's you mentioned, why there's a monopoly the um, other thing you mentioned as well oh sorry you got joe yeah no, no go for it the other thing you talked about as well is that the the way you cut these other products is different you can't score and break yeah which yeah. then adds cost on top of that <clears throat> yeah so you've uh, moved into the house. What type of renovations have you done? Um, completely painted. We ripped, we extended a little bit. We had to extend a small part of the building um, where the kitchen's going because it was rotten. All the cladding was rotten, so we pulled all that off, put new insulation in, or put some insulation in. There was none. Put new windows in, double glazed windows, and... Um, how did you manage getting those I believe Windows uh, we is had a worldwide that, problem we had ordered all of that pre and we when I finally were able to get to the house it was we had uh, there's a, like a four car garage on the property and it was just chocker with all the stuff we needed mm. uh, to do the renovation so um, yeah we're, we're, like I say we're pretty much there it's just little all the finishing things which I haven't got around to doing skirting boards here and there paint here and there um all the all the parts that take forever and you never really want to do it mm-hmm. so all at the end of the job yeah cool so where are you working from then if the so i have to travel currently to my old workshop which is uh 35 40 minutes each way mm. which is a bit of a pain in the butt but it's not forever um what's the so kind of what's the kind of timeline that you're expecting for the for the new shop another three months or four months or yeah it's probably three months um the slab like i say the slab's going down at the end of this month and the builders say once the shed kit set arrives it's like two weeks and it's finished but getting the last few bits because some of the materials have got to come from china i believe oh dear and that's what the hold up is and they get about two days warning that the shipments are going to land on the um at the port and then it's kind of all guns come to the site and get it sorted but until they get that two-day warning they've got no idea when the pieces of the the shed actually arrive Mm. so it's just a bit but i've got to be out of my old workshop in august so plenty of time yeah um can i ask you the the dimensions of the workshop what did you say it was again Seven, I think 17, it's 17 by, by 12 and a half. Did you, and a half. did you decide that based around a machinery plan? Is that the kind of proportions that you'd like your workshop to be? Or was it just what fitted within um, the contours of the... Yeah, there's a bit of both. I wanted it to be square yep. originally. I'd drawn it out and laid out. I'd drawn all my tools and sketch up yep. and moved everything around how I think it would probably work uh, well. I also wanted, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to lay it out in a certain way, which needed more of a square than a rectangle. Your current Um, workshop is rectangular, isn't it? It's very rectangular. It's very narrow and long, which means we have a giant runway, which is not great. Um, So um, once we got here and were able to do the site cut and we had to change the size of the, the workshop a little to fit within between a road and a, uh, a big bank 
dirt bank we have um, so it's kind of that's the dimension it can be um, and the the biggest holdup has been actually getting our paperwork for it we've done most of this most of the work to date has been done without consent and we finally got the consent through right as the um, the builders were needing to get an ins inspection on the foundation so it's been a bit of touch and go actually did you just go ahead with the to, yeah. to retrospectively inspect well, well we had approval. our engineer come along and look at it as we went and make note of it and then they retrospective, retrospectively sign it off once they have a piece of paper to sign <laughs> risky risky uh, well that you know it is a bit but we got to do something we're not just going to sit on our butts for six months while the local council decides what they're going to do and when you know what you're doing it's a calculated risk yeah it definitely was a calculated risk um but like i said i was fairly confident because we had the geotech engineer was here he saw the diggers digging the holes he saw the steel going in made notes and um so everything's documented and he's happy to sign it off at the end of the day as long as you've got a qualified person who's happy to sign your work off then that's it how much customization have you done or is it just going to be a shed like have you got um floor boxes in for power and or have you tried anything like underfloor dust or dust collection or I, I didn't want to do anything um i think i messaged you guys to say i was a bit in shock that we suddenly had to pay an extra fifty thousand for our concrete slab extra um, 50 g's god i missed that message <laughs> whoa and that so that pretty much took out any all our contingency contingency fee was gone yeah so there's, there's no extras it's just um yeah i mean the our i should send you a picture of it the steel that is in our slab is so over engineered yeah um it's outrageous you could probably build a four-story building on it <laughs> and there's like 20 mil steels all through it like gone are the days of 12 mil steel it's 20 mil now all yeah. right it's, it's outrageous wow well, so, a a tip from watching the scots Turner Bill, when it's the stuff arrives, make sure it's all there because yes, yeah. he got all it all arrived, and then the next day it's him filming, going, up oh, they missed a couple pieces. We're gonna, and it's the first pieces that you need the yeah. uh, the connectors to put the posts into. So yeah, yeah right. double check. <sighs> yeah. yeah. So that's where I'm at. And in terms of, in terms of the actually. jobs that are coming in at the minute, you're getting enough furniture work to sort of keep you interested or is it mainly joinery stuff mainly kitchens and um i've taken on i so i had a big cabinetry job back when we last talked and i'm finally being able to work my way through that mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of been good in a sense that it just gives me something constantly just to chip away at because there are no super rush and i've got uh, somewhere to put all the finished cabinetry um so that's kind of cool I've taken on another fairly large cabinetry job just because it's really odd, a really odd challenge, and I thought I'd give it a go. Some curved, curved cabinets and um, really odd shaped pieces, which I thought, yeah, why not? But at the same time, I've had a decent amount of furniture come through. Um, I've got some good furniture pieces lined up, although I just before we started got a new price increase for hardwood and oh. it's it's looking a bit ridiculous and i'm not sure that some of these jobs will go ahead now yeah. so mm. um, i'm not sure i've got to try and find something i can build with that's not so imported but it's even get, it's getting like that here like i'm gonna have to raise all my i've kind of kept my pricing apart from my bespoke pieces where it's obviously priced based on the timber on the day but like my standard range of furniture i'm gonna have to increase by between five and ten percent first of june it's just it's just wiping out my profit margin now yeah um mm -hmm. it's it's the, t the cost of, i've had three uh, uh, i think this will be the third pr timber price increase in a year and um just saw I think I think I saw uh, 40 mil thick rough sworn oak is now $10,000 a cube which is what I used to buy like 
wengi for <laughs> like um it's so expensive i'm not sure what the problem is we've talked about it before so i don't have much option yeah if people want hardwood i can buy um tazzy oak but not enough people know about it and everyone's put off by the pink color immediately mm. um and it stains up fine but you've got to have some samples ready to go otherwise people just don't mm. want to know about it speaking of wood prices i recently purchased a piece of spotted gum for an axe handle and i got it from a sawmill and i went to the front to pay for it and the guy took the docket and he looked at it and he said this is fifty dollars do you realize that and i said yeah that's all right in the back of my mind i'm thinking holy crap that's a lot of money and he says yeah most people have a have a bit of a, a wobble when they see that's how much it is now i appreciate that spotted gum where i am and we'll get to that in a second is quite expensive but fifty dollars what was the size of the blank so it was a meter by it was 90 by 45 yeah that's, well, that's pretty okay. pricey yeah. So, so yeah, with with that in mind, um, uh, yeah. sorry, you go, Brian. No, I was going to say, fill us in where you are. Yeah, yeah. So, at, in the beginning of this year, I made my way down from Townsville to just south of Hobart. I drove down, and it was amazing. It was just, it was an epic trip. Because I was trying to get here, it wasn't a wasn't a holiday. I was just trying to get here. I did six or seven hour days to get here, and it was three nights. Also did the ferry from Melbourne into Tasmania, which was that was also a real experience. And yeah, I got to moved into a new place in when was it? It was March, beginning of March, and uh, it's great down here. It's so nice to be able to enjoy some cold weather again <laughs> oh hang on hang on hang on it's only may just, just get your thermals ready robin uh, i i'm holding up a pair of very woolly gloves that i'm showing the guys because i went for a run this morning and it was a few degrees a few it's a, yeah. it's, a it's a bit of a shock but man it's so cool but on the way down managed to stop in at brian's place yeah. saw the workshop awesome. saw the very now not so secret piece that he presented what was the the uh the event brian uh the the john wardle exhibition yeah there was relatively useful yeah as part of relatively the useful. melbourne design week yeah yeah you arrived at exactly table. i think you arrived the it was the night before i installed it wasn't it it was yeah, yeah the van was yeah. parked outside yeah ready you to helped load me up. you helped me flip the top and do some last minute uh touch-ups and yeah it was flipping hectic at the end yeah but um so I got, got to meet brian and his family as well which was amazing so thanks again brian for um not, not showing a problem. around i also got to experience melbourne traffic oh it's great do you know do you know so so um uh, so i went back to brian's place i met his his wife and his little boy which is that was that was really special um to meet him and then after that uh brian was going out to movies with some people so the two of us went into the city. Well, no, it wasn't even the city, was it? But it was, you know, a relatively cafe-ish type area. Yep. And we we drove in there. We walked to the theater, and, and Brian said, "There's a there was a, a restaurant or something that you could go to." By that stage in the, the the day, from all the driving and having to do Melbourne in the afternoon, I didn't even go for anything to eat. I just got straight back in my car and went to the the <laughs> beach nearby where I could just go to the beach because I was, I was done. I don't know how how people do that, do that driving yeah. every day of their lives. Yeah, well, like I, I've kind of moved away from it a bit this year. I got a I got an e-bike that I ordered at the end of November. It finally arrived in January and I've been cycling three to four <laughs> days a week and it is so much more enjoyable. Awesome. Um, yeah. But good bit of rehab for my knee and a nice nice break so and we've we've had an amazing summer in melbourne it's been when the rest of australia feels like it's been well eastern australia has been underwater we've actually had a really really nice summer here no major storms no 40 degree days we've been very very lucky and start of winter has been glorious so long may that continue 
Yeah. Um, but you're loving Hobart life. Like, is it um, is it what you expected? It's it's really good. It's really good. So before I moved up to Townsville, I was living in Adelaide for a few years, and I fell in love with the place. Adelaide's still number one on in, in my books. This is like that, but just it it, it feels like a little bit more regional mm-hmm. country. So it's it's really good. I've the 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 whole culture down here. I, it's this is my vibe. This these are my people. This is what I this is what I want. Um, I what, try to. What meet part up of Hobart are you? Are you in Kingston, right? Just south of Kingston, yep. in an area called Margate. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, under Margate. Yeah. It's it's Hobart's a city. Hobart's a big city. It's obviously much bigger than Townsville was. And when you're driving in Hobart, you feel like you're in a big city. You you go 20 minutes south to where I am, and there's paddocks. We're right next to cows. You're in what feels like real farmland, and it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing that you get that variety just outside of the city. I remember up, up in Townsville in Queensland, you felt, it felt like you had to drive hours to get away from things. Everything was far apart. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's very cool. Really like the people here. I try to meet up with Laura, not last week, the week before. We, mm-hmm. we kind of missed each other, so I didn't get to do that. Uh, Duncan Meadings already sent me a message to say come come around That's see awesome. the the shop, so I've, I feel like I'm I'm getting the opportunity to meet a lot of people here, which is great. And one of the reasons we took so long to get the podcast back up and running is I said to the guys, I'm not doing any woodworking yet. I'm trying to get signed up to the men's shed just around the okay. corner. I've got one of the best men's sheds in the country, I believe, just around the corner. But they run a very bureaucratic op- operation obviously <laughs> and, and I've had to jump through so many hoops to get in there hopefully they're listening to this yeah <laughs> and and it, everyone I've spoken to I've said that's that's absolutely fine I realize you guys have processes and I've got to abide by that but I'm not allowed on the tools yet until I get someone to sign off on my competency yeah which is it's again yeah. I understand the process, but it's really tough when I walk in there and I've, I've got to be re-schooled on everything that I know how to use. Yeah. So I'm It's always a tough position to be in because you also have your own uh, little quirks about how you use tools and stuff, and it might not be the exact gospel of how you should do it, but it's still just just safe enough, you know, good, good mm. enough. and. That's when you often just have to bite your tongue in those situations and, all right, well, let's try your way. <laughs> yeah. So we, we're, we're making an axe handle. Well, I'm making an axe handle with the help of, of someone. And what's been quite interesting is seeing the different ways of doing it. Yeah. I immediately went to the bandsaw to round out a piece of stock and he said, no, let's use the thi- the, 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 the jointer. Right. To, okay. to cut the, the corners off, which was interesting. Uh, but yeah, so now I'm finally, you know, this this Saturday gone by, I finally actually did some work on that that axe handle, so now I can bring some some woodworking to the podcast again. It's only <laughs> been four months. I just I miss my tools. I want to go back because they're all in storage in Townsville. I just want to go right. back and give them a hug and, and check on them. Can you explain to me what the what the gist is with the man shed? Is it essentially I mean, once you are given access, can you go and use it any time you like to build whenever you like, or how does that work? So it's a, so yes, to answer the question, you pay a monthly fee, oh sorry, an annual fee, and you, you it's a not-for-profit organization, so you, you chip in for the tools. Right. You can get it, access Can you give to, us a rough number of what it costs you a year? Yeah, so it's 50, 50, 50 bucks a year. 50 bucks a year. That's nothing, yeah? No, it's nothing, it's, and it's a, it's a, it's, depending on where you go, and, I, and from what I've heard, I've really lucked out, because this is a, a good one, there's tools. I walk in and mm. there's industrial thicknesser, jointer, table saw. I did my first table saw cut on Saturday, which oh, yeah. is pretty cool. Uh, bandsaw, belt sander. That's the woodworking area. Then you've got a metal working area with mills, yes. uh, metal lathes. This one's then got sewing, uh, jewelry, uh, just uh, just any tool you can pretty much think of. Oh, cool. And it's there. However, the catch is you've got to 
get one of the mentors to show you how to work with it, which is right. good at the same time because you learn. Absolutely. And then you can access it pretty much all day during the week, I think. So I'll eventually be able to go on my lunch breaks and then midday on Saturday. Very cool. That's pretty cool, man. So they get... I remember the Australian government were doing a big... Um, they did a big funding drive on things like men's sheds for mental health for for men, mm-hmm. right? So there are some pretty cool men's sheds around. Um, but that's really good that you can get access to it beyond just the weekends or... You know that it, it does give you a proper number of hours to be able to make your own projects yeah yeah it's it a, sounds, it's a really good vibe it sounds like it's fairly you know spread across australia um is it like government funded at all or is it completely a private thing where no no there's a lot spread? of government funded ones um right i think it was probably under the labor government well we're not going to talk politics because there's an election coming yeah. up but i think it was the labor government they started to look into uh, men's mental health issues and they found that men's sheds were a great place to just get people together um, that's awesome idea so, yeah I'm pretty I'm pretty sure there is good um, state and federal funding for it there is they've explained some of it to me come election time mm-hmm. the last thing they had was a, a whole what, 20 by 20 meter parking asphalt parking lot built well, they they get a they get a lot of grants, but then they give back to the community as well. So this yeah, one's got yeah. a, a giant kitchen, industrial kitchen, and then they do you know meals on wheels or whatever the the local one is. They do all the cooking and then huh. send it out. The I'm actually one of the sorry, I'm just I'm on the uh, on the government website now. So every men's shed can apply for grants of up to ten thousand dollars to help with well-being activities, events, shed improvements, tools and equipment. Mm. That's pretty good. Yeah. It does have a bit of a, and everyone there is fifty plus. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's definitely it's aimed at a specific group of people who are retired. When I go there on a Saturday, there's no one there because <laughs> everyone goes during the week. <laughs> so do you the, think it's aimed at that age group, or do you think um, they're the, the older people who are taking advantage of it, rather than younger people aren't, aren't aware as much, or? Well, I said to the the guy who showed me around the first time, I was expecting this old, stuffy, dusty <laughs> room with tools, but it's not. It's everything's clean. It's well run. It could easily cater to all ages, mm-hmm. but I think traditionally, it's had that old, stuffy, old man yeah. shed, Dart, dartboard on the wall, Pirelli calendar hanging up. <laughs> that's it yeah. just rampant sexism everywhere yeah. <laughs> and that's why today you don't see many young people there mm-hmm. yeah it's not cool huh no absolutely not and also you've got to share tools there's there's always going to right. be a part of me that that's like oh man I just want to go out and, and do what I want to do it is a yeah. shared space it's funny though isn't it just with the like the naming like a man's shed has real connotations so obviously we're a man but just the shed whereas if you change just the name to Makerspace, yeah, the type of people that Different. it would attract, it, com- complete demographic change. You would probably push away the older fellas, though, I think. Huh? Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I feel like I've grown up in a very respectful family, so when the old guys, they tell me things, I'm I'm always going to be on the the... Not the back foot, but the I'm younger than you, so I'm, I've, yeah. I've automatically got to respect. Even if some of what they say to me I don't agree with, yeah. that's this is you know I'm I'm the I'm the youngin here. Yeah. But I imagine yeah, if you had all these young bucks rolling in with their newfangled technology and and yeah. pro- processes, you would scare them off. Oh, uh, I don't know, but then you you know you get an old wily character to properly cut them down and mm-hmm. <laughs> like. I look at I look at sort of my mentor that taught me furniture at uni, um, and yeah, I could imagine him in a man's shed, tearing some uh, some young guys a new one when they bring out a CNC or something. He's like, uh-uh. yeah, yeah. I felt so bad because I've told the guys there I have these tools. I've worked in these workshops, but I, I I've got a one of those little lunchbox thicknesses. Here they've got the industrial one. So what's great is you have the guys teaching you 
how to use the machine because even though you've used the machine there's always these little not that machine not that machine right so I go to use the thicknesser and he said you know he says me so you're okay I'm like yeah yeah, I'm okay I'm okay I put this board in and I haven't set the height adjustment correctly the board runs through but I haven't set the height adjustment I must have taken off a five mil Mm. chunk of spotted gum (laughs) I could just hear the motor winding down and just just chunks blowing into the dust collector and I didn't even want to turn around and look at him because I could just have met picture of shaking his head going this guy doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> nice uh, yeah so yeah that's um, yeah it's taken me a few months but I'm finally back into some kind of woodworking nice and hopefully it'll just progress from from here and your wife's pretty happy that it's not underneath your uh, living room right yeah and I and I'm only really going once a week so it's yep. it's a lot less yeah but yeah Brian where where are you up to um so yeah my summer was pretty much taken up with the the project for the wardle exhibition so um it was a conversation that kind of started mid-november that john had this idea that he wants so john wardle is an architect a very successful architect from melbourne that i've done a bit of work for in the past and uh, he wanted to do an exhibition with um another designer and they designed a range of furniture a range of kind of homewares vases and put it on for melbourne design week and melbourne design week is in march and it went from being an idea in kind of november to a fully delivered exhibition of maybe 15 pieces of furniture made by every one of them made by a different maker from melbourne and tassie i think there was maybe one rural victoria but um a lot of people we've had on the show laura um adam uh my old intern vivian people like that so yeah it, it was an incredible and Simeon made obviously an unbelievable yeah. cabinet for anybody that's seen it um mm. so yeah it was flipping hectic um the exhibition was sponsored by hydrowood which we've spoken about a bit before mm. in the past mm. timber harvested from the bottom of a lake in tassie so the concept is that the water is so dark and cold that it prevents uh, the timber from rotting and you end up with a really stable timber despite the fact that it's been underwater. Um, the timber that was donated or that was supplied for it was, for my project was supposed to be all leatherwood. And leatherwood is a precious timber that you can't really uh, harvest anymore in Tasmania unless a tree comes down because of the um, honey industry. So bees obviously take the the um, nectar from flowers in uh, leatherwood trees so this lump of leatherwood arrived um, bowed and warped and twisted and rough sawn and I had kind of I'd allowed for maybe a 20% um, and maybe even more maybe I might have even allowed for 30% more timber and it arrived uh, all rough sawn I let it acclimatise for two weeks in the workshop nice warm days not too hot and then i started to like just just plane it just to see what was underneath and a lot of the timber had this crazy spalting through it some of it was myrtle it wasn't actually leatherwood um but you couldn't tell until you sort of started to take it back and then i was kind of going there's not enough timber to do the top and the legs and the frame and the sliding tray on it out of leatherwood so there was a lot of back and forth conversations with John who was in Europe at the time. So there was nighttime Skype calls about do we switch the top to a blackwood? Is blackwood going to be too close to leatherwood? Um, and yeah, the deadline was ticking. Um, so we ended up doing the legs and the frame from leatherwood. And the legs were, the project, my piece was called In Clover and the legs were clover shaped. So um, it was pretty complex it was a lot of uh, mm. discussion with Jam from Like Butter on how we were going to achieve this without having to go to a five-axis CNC. So it was made in four segments that kind of got milled on one side and clipped together with lamellos. Then you'd unclip, rotate, clip the next side in, and then it built up the, the clover profile. Um, that, you know, I saw that being made, and I was like, okay... Yep, that's a difficult part. 
it wasn't until I saw it. You, you never actually showed the scale of those things. Like, they're massive. Oh, they're pretty those big. Legs. They're 150 diameter. Yeah, and that's a really big part. Yeah. Um, which obviously helps, to some degree, it helps for machining because you've got a bigger piece to, to hold and to work with. Exactly, yeah. Um, but still, they're really quite chunky legs. They are, yeah. It was sort of one of the main features of the table that it it kind of looks really well like grounded and you know, like mm. big elephant legs on it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the leatherwood had so much movement in it that you know you'd glue the stock up that needed to be completely square because it is, it had to be true because every side that was machined it couldn't be glued together and then machined. So yeah. I'd glue, uh, I think it was, two pieces to each quadrant. So yeah, eight pieces per leg. I'd glue them up. I ended up doing them in a vacuum bag towards the end, um, which was brilliant for laminating them. And uh, you glue them up, leave them, come back the next day, and they've moved like half a millimeter. And I'm like, well, I can't, like, literally, that half a millimeter is not going to come out. <laughs> so yeah. I'd then have to um, joint them again, get them all square, and the size started to come down and down and down until I had literally no stock left on the widest part of the clover. And I'm like, oh, God. But um, thankfully, Jim and um, his machinist, Johnny, did a, f- a really incredible job on it. And, um, and yeah, I had, I, God, since the last time I spoke to you guys, I, I took on an intern. Um, yeah. So it was a All fairly right. short-term thing. Basically, a friend of a friend of mine, he uh, messaged me in December saying, can I just come in and have a look at the workshop and have a chat? He was sort of interested. He was a bike builder by trade, um, Sasha. Sasha the German um, bike builder by trade and he was just interested in sort of getting to learn a bit about furniture and he's like can I just come along and shadow for you know a day a week or something and I'm like well I've literally just had this mega project land on my feet and I'm not going to be able to physically do it by myself so yes you can <laughs> so um, yeah he worked with me for three months um, just finished last week and now he's taking a sabbatical to Germany and um, coming back and hoping to start his own furniture thing here. So he's got all the gear and just, wow. yeah. yeah. So that was that was a really good experience. My first male intern. So right. yeah. We've talked about this on the show before, how you've always had female because there's a, um, a humility. I think it's, it's yeah. kind of what you alluded to. Yeah, a little... I think they're just more prepared to ask questions a lot of the time if they don't know how to do yeah, something. Uh, yeah. I find that there's a question will be asked, whereas I've just always been paranoid. I've seen the way other... Uh, I've got to be careful what I say. The way some other furniture makers work and they just push things through and they either put themselves at risk or just spoil a whole load of timber. Um, mm. And yeah, when it's an intern, like you just got to be so careful with that stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he was brilliant. Um, worked on a couple of really cool projects. Uh, the Wardle project obviously went really well. Uh, everything was delivered. It was, I think I finished at 11.30 p.m. the night before the piece was being shot for the catalogue and then had to go and make some extra touch-ups on it and finished uh, about 10 p.m., Oh no! Sorry, it wasn't ten p.m. It was when just after you came into the workshop, um, Robin, mm. and uh, then it was delivered the next day. So it was super tight deadlines, and um, the exhibition went on for a month, and the piece sold, which was pretty cool. Yeah, no, really. Um, awesome. So I got to deliver it into its new space, and it's now sitting very happy. And there's a potential Crazy. couple of other um, tables coming as well from it. So, but now we have to work out we can't get leatherwood anymore because that was it. Right. It's done. Um, so yeah, they're all going to be Tassie oak. Uh, I saw that pile of le- le- leatherwood slash myrtle. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, you've seen rough sawn, but the next thing after rough sawn is just a pile of junk. <laughs> and it was like, it was moving towards that category because it did. It was just bananas. It was like the pink was like a luminous pink um so yeah it all ended up with the victorian woodworkers association i spoke to hydrowood and they're like yeah we you know we want it to be used 
Um, so yeah, their students are using it. I think it's it's still great. Like if you want to make a box or something out of it and make mm, feature mm, panels, mm. but to actually make a the large piece links. of furniture out of it to make a tabletop out of it was just it was really really hard. Um, definitely the best timber that I've ever worked. Like the best Australian timber. It just milled like butter. Um, but yeah, I was kind of happy that it will not <laughs> it will not be coming back into the workshop anytime <laughs> soon. Um, and yeah, other little pieces. The I did a little sort of Japanese-inspired um, coffee table that had Danish cord shelf in it Ooh. and a, a charred top. Um, I'd never done the Danish cord before, so that was that was pretty cool. Have you not done it before? No. Nah. No, never done it before. I swear the first time I saw it was one of your pieces, but that's not true. Though. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I switched. Um, oh, I learned from Modanest, uh, M-O-D-A-N-E-S-T. This is his Instagram, and he gave me lots of pointers. Um, supplied the Danish cord as well, which was great, because it's actually what? quite hard to get in Australia. Would you recommend it to someone? Is it a is it a relatively simple? Because it, it is it it, it is really seems simple. straightforward. Yeah, yeah. But I would imagine there's there's curves. Totally, totally simple. Um, and anyone could do it. You obviously you don't need any special tools to do it. You just need your hands and what I learned later, gloves, because you will blister the absolute yeah. shit out of your hands doing it. Um, but that design, it was kind of so the top has a taper cut to it, so it's sort of. It's kind of like the wings of a plane in a section and I wanted the shelf to have a taper and the idea was I was going to put dials and just wrap it around the dials and then um, when I spoke to different different people on Instagram the advice was ditch the dials and just clad over solid plates for the shelves and I wouldn't have really thought to do that and it worked really really well so I meant you could really pull on them to get the tension right without bowing the dials in mm. um, and then it sure. would have caused the Danish cord to gather towards the middle of it where it bowed um, mm. but yeah it's pretty straightforward it's really just about the technique of knotting it and hiding it and because um, mm. that's not one length of cord mm. so there's probably in that piece maybe 15-20 lengths of cord because of the wrap that you have to do to wind it round and, and pull through the cord, yeah. uh, if you had that as one length of cord, you know, there's probably... Uh, I'm trying to think how much I bought. I think I bought 80 metres of it. Yeah. So there might, there might be 25 metres, 30 metres of cord in that. So, yeah, it's yes. a lot to pull through and wind it. So you sort of build it up in sections, tie it off, and... Um, and yeah, use a block to kind of tap it down and and get it all really nice and tight. But yeah, it's mm. a fun, it's a really nice like it just adds a really simple texture to the piece. Mm. So yeah, I'd be keen to use it again. I have a um, interesting table job which I've just started. Um, that's why I started filming this because I thought if if I'm going to completely turn something into firewood it might as well be on <laughs> video so I've got to do a, um, an oval torsion box mm. with like essentially sticks the legs coming out the bottom of it um, very specific to fit my client's chairs that they have all, how, how big chairs. a table are we talking Troy? it's only 2 metres by 1.1 yep um, legs are and the legs, uh, so if you imagine the tabletop is oval, um, imagine that there are well, five, six legs in oval shape, but condensed um, down into a much smaller oval in the middle of the table. So that way you could fit shears in underneath. <laughs> Straight of my head, I don't get so, it. So I'm holding my hands to make an oval shape. Yeah. And then if you make an imaginary line much smaller that is oval shaped okay. inside that, that um, shape of the table, mm-hmm. and then there will be just legs sticking down, mm, okay. a little oval, uh, an oval stretcher down at the at the mm, just okay. off the ground to hold all the legs together. The trick is. I've just so the problem with this job is similar to uh, Rob uh, Brian, what you were just saying, is that 
the client has got this timber from this totra tree, which they cut down before they shifted house. And so there's a finite amount of timber. The table has to be 1.1 wide. All of the slabs are one meter long. So cool. I didn't realize that until I started cutting it. I thought they were all wide enough. So I've got to magically find a hundred mil of length to my timber. So I'm, I'm coming up with some kind of plan for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, just making an, an oval torsion box is throwing up a bunch of uh, bunch of little problems about how you, I do things. So you're going to do it with like a one-to-one printout template, or are you going to map it out on? I'm going to on MDF tomorrow, or hopefully, or? I'm going to cut a full-size uh, MDF template of the yep. main tabletop, and then from there I can just draw lines in from the edge about where my rib cage needs to be and where my solid timber edging needs to be um and yeah, i learned some lessons doing my my last torsion box table so i will hopefully make a much better job of this one um and so yeah i'm i'm just going through that problem of how do i make this small amount of wood do everything it has to do <laughs> where yeah. do i get all the parts from so Totra, that's a New Zealand native, right? Yes. Yeah. What does it What does it look like? It's like um, it's very buttery. Uh, actually, it can be red, can be reddish, yep. but it's typically the, the, the stock I've got, kind of pale butter through to a reddish color. The stuff I've got, kind of knotty and has some bark. Um, bark inclusions here and there just so typically the trees grow very uh, tall and straight and you have really clean boards that are just perfect um, but obviously this was just a tree in someone's backyard that had never been pruned properly and so we've only got the lengths that we have got uh, and so it's just a matter of is it the sort of thing that like can you buy veneers of it or not um no but i'm making my own veneers right I was going to say, could you um, buy veneers, like, and even if they're to veneer the bottom of the table and then use their own tree to do the top of the table, that's not an option? Um, I could probably do that. And thanks for giving me the idea. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, it doesn't solve my main problem is that the, um, my, the lengths that I have are yeah, still not aren't wide enough for the table. Enough yeah. to go across the table. That's um, a real trick. Um, well, could you run... Could you do it with a seam in the middle of the table and use like a, I don't know, a feature That's inlay or something running the whole way it's down? It's an option, but it might, might, at the moment my plan is to build up, so what I wanted to do was run uh, solid timber around the edge of the table mm-hmm. and when you're looking at the top of the table you would see a small ring of end grain. So when you're looking on the side, mm. the solid timber would be placed so you see vertical grain all the way around the edge. Okay. Um, mm. And now I'm thinking that if my ring of solid timber around the edge was really wide, and uh, when you're looking right, down okay, from yeah. the yep. top, you have like a 50 mil border all the way around the table of yep. end grain, and then the veneers will fit on the inside of that. And I can use a CNC to cut the perfect oval, in theory. Yep. And then lay my veneer in inside of that. Uh, so, so you're going to cut the curves out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I have to still. Can't. I have to make a giant segmented ring all the way around the outside of the, the table in solid. Which did I'm you Did sure you see Simeon's one that he did a few weeks ago? I don't know how removed uh, from social media you are, but he, I think it was just in his stories. No. He was doing a, a round table and building it up in, in multiple uh, solids and faceting it. It was pretty cool. Oh, really? Maybe. So the whole table is solid segments? Ar- around the outside edge, yeah. Oh, around the um, outside, yeah. But yeah, it was a really neat system. They, it was a big table. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe have a look back on his Instagram and see if it's, see if it's there as a poster on the story. I understand... But, I've done it on a circle and I understand how to make segments on a circle. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how you go about working out angle cuts for segments on an oval because mm. it's complete. It's always changing. So I think it's a case of making it making it up as you go along, but and just making it uh, oversized enough that you can. Yeah. 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 But I also want the. I was thinking about if you're looking down on it and you see the segmented ring essentially. Oh, you want it to be you, nice and even, and yeah. You kind of want the mitres to be reasonably even. Yeah. And that's the angle. I don't know how you work that out on an oval. That sounds like a card job to me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at Simeon's Instagram page, Is and it on there? the tenth image down is when he was on the show <laughs> last year in June and I distinctly remember Simeon saying he loves Instagram stories because you can put anything up and then nothing gets there's there's um, no accountability for it so yeah. if you post rubbish on there then it's not part of his brand I've and totally it's, I've it's done shows. the same thing as that I have massively um, cut down on my posting because since the 10th or since June last year he's only posted 10 pictures 10, 10 pictures yeah <laughs> That just that's the that's the mark of someone who's got enough work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Talking about round tables, did we talk about that table I can't remember who did it, but it was the kilometers and kilometers of veneers that got wrapped in a circle. Oh, the hydrowood one. That was yeah, a, there we, was yeah. hydrowood, I don't right? think we talked about it, but I think we've all seen it obviously. Something um, I don't understand about that is that sensor is going to expand and contract, right? There's different masses in the middle compared to the outside. How does that internal circle not get locked in place by the the outer rings? So I, I reckon it's just the the gluing area. So it would have been probably epoxied, and it's the gluing area because the expansion across the grain oh hang on let me think well how big is the I didn't notice I didn't actually notice a solid ring I thought it was veneered all the way down to a point oh no it was but that veneer is still going to move isn't it or is it oh but it's on its edge like you're you're talking about essentially if you take a flat sawn veneer and make a strip of it oh um, I see what you're saying it's all going to be up and down the grain is now quarter sawn when you and then when you Mm. turn it on its edge uh, it's going to want to expand in its thickness than it, yeah. in its diameter. Because that was an, an idea that for I anybody had. who's looking or hasn't got a clue what we're talking about, it's called the <laughs> recoil table by um, Brody oh, Neal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, such a cool idea. Um, I made a, a, a circle table a couple of years ago, and that was my original idea was to have just rings. Right. From That's the right. Stock I remember you talking up. talking about this. But I couldn't figure out from an expansion contraction perspective, and and admittedly those would have been twenty mil thick. So yeah, these are super edge, thin. These are like they would still be massive. Uh, but they're like point six veneers or something, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. So at I mean, that point, you're just not allowing it to. Essentially, contract. he's just made plywood. Mm. I mean, that's all it is at that point. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter what way the grain's going. The gl- there's more glue than wood. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. If it's like forty mil thick or thirty five mil thick or something, there is a lot of glue area. Yeah, mm. it's a yeah, wicked yeah, table. It's unreal, man. I tell you, the, the whole Melbourne Design Week thing, um, that was here for it. But there's a lot of stuff that, like, I worry a bit about <laughs> the future of design. And you know me, like I'm kind of into slightly bizarre contemporary stuff. But right. there was a lot of stuff that is going to be ending up. In a scrap heap. Oh, you think just because of the construction? No, not because of the construction. I think. Uh, I mean, design. I would say poor quality design. A lot of the stuff. Okay. Um, like just practicality. It's not going to be yeah, able to work in its environment. Not that. I just think stylistically, there's a lot of stuff that was ah. sort of very in vogue and like, you okay. know. I, we did an exhibition with Craft Victoria a few years ago called. Um, uh, this is not Memphis and it was all about like a critique on the whole style of Memphis like the sort of 70s, 80s 90s kind of like just weird shapes and weird colours and totally impractical stuff and it was 
we did that exhibition when it was starting to come through in furniture and now I look at it and it's like it is everywhere um, and it's being lauded it's um, yeah I just I wonder if it is just a phase that will disappear or whether it's sort of here to stay and it's just I find it very sad like I find that the thing that's always excited me about furniture design is the the I don't know the whole process of going between a big idea a big idea the material and then the craft skills required to produce it and this seems to skip a whole load of those steps Um, but yeah I'll be interested to see if we get any any negativity because I'm not naming people by name or anything but um, I was just very shocked like the shows that I saw at Melbourne Design Week, it, there was just a lot of repetition, I felt, um, in terms of that kind of stuff. Is there a particular what? element that you can... I'm not going to name names. <laughs> well, no, that's what I say, I not just name, names, but a particular element in terms of uh, a particular style or, or particular part of the styling or design. Um... Or is it that too too specific? I, I think it's going to get me in trouble, Robin. To be honest. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm interested. Yeah, so. maybe we'll take this take this one offline. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's just that whole Memphis style, and yeah, like right. it's funny. Like when I studied architecture, you know, you've got to study every even if it's not a style that you particularly like. You know, study modernist, postmodernist, all that kind of stuff you still had to respect where it had come from. Whereas I look at mm. Memphis furniture and I don't know what the point of it is. Mm. I, I don't see redeeming sculptural qualities. I don't find it as an interesting play on materials. I don't even find it funny. A lot of the stuff, like if it's just going to be a one liner joke, like it's going to be <laughs> Damien Hurst or Tracy Emmett or something like that. Just being a funny statement. Fair enough. But a lot of the stuff I just don't get, I just don't get it. <laughs> maybe yeah. someone can can hit me up and explain. You're getting old, Brian. Uh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe. But um, I think um, if there's an element probably of if it sells, let's make it until it doesn't sell. Yeah, but unfortunately, that's what I find so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Maybe it is just cycles, and um, you know, fortunately, we're still in a country that has a very strong um, furniture maker scene with unbelievable makers in it so there's still Mm -hmm. some really good stuff coming along I just feel sad that it doesn't get the eyes on it that I think it deserves Mm. because you've got something big and blue and triangular beside it right yeah it's funny let's let's take it offline and I'll name names yeah cool (laughs) (laughs) it's funny you say that about the design in Australia I feel like the, and this is coming back to just the podcast in general, the podcast last year took a very different turn. Well, it's pretty much as soon as you jumped on, Brian. We, the, the quality of the work that we're talking about and the quality of the people that we're talking to has gone in a different direction. And since our season last year, I've been looking at, I've, my Instagram feed is filled with beautiful work not just work but it's beautiful things and it's been such a such a pleasure to be part of this podcast to, to have been brought into that world um, you know like that piece that I saw in your workshop Brian those sorts of pieces this podcast has, has sort of pushed me into and it's mm. it's been it's been really cool I, I hope that the people who are listening to the show have been on that journey as well oh, that's yeah, awesome I agree I agree it's like a different up upward trajectory of just thinking a bit more um, well, I don't want to say grandiose but maybe just thinking a bit more um, uh, I'm not sure what the term is <laughs> constantly evolving and yeah. pushing your pushing what you can and can't pushing do. what you can I think because we all get stuck in a, in a comfort zone mm. and um, yeah definitely having Brian on board definitely started pushing me into thinking a lot more differently about what I, what I actually want to make for myself rather than just what I'm paid to make. Mm. Yeah, It's obviously tricky because this isn't a visual medium, but um, 
Yeah, like I've I've always looked at I've I've been fortunate just to meet people at shows and by living in a city the size of Melbourne, you know, there will be obviously more furniture makers here, but just through meeting people, talking to people and going to their workshops, I'm seeing work that I haven't seen online and I'm like, why don't these people have a platform? So hopefully the podcast does just throw even just a few more eyes on their work. Um mm. because yeah, they're just, you know, solo makers, men and women, um, in workshops producing just unbelievable stuff. Yeah. Um I'll end with a funny story because you always love my, my counterfeit stories. Um yeah, sure. so the uh the new quarantine facility in Melbourne that has recently opened, um as part of the whole COVID thing to replace hotels. Um yeah. it opened and now it's effectively closed because they're not quarantining anyway. But anyway. <laughs> may get future use down the line, who knows? But um they posted photos of it online and um the government a government project oh, has no. just specified counterfeit uh, Le Corbusier <laughs> sofas in every single one of the suites really really <laughs> nice. like they've literally it's a it's a criminal offence like you you know and it's been committed by government subcontractors so it's going to be interesting Ooh. to see what comes of it um, it just published in the age like it was on yeah it was on the front page of the age I clicked on it and like Please tell me that's just a dodgy render, and I looked at it and I'm like, no, that is an actual photo. Surely they wouldn't have known because they just looked to the catalog and bought the thing and. But again, this, whatever it was. this is just the kind of nonsense that exists in this country with counterfeit protection. It's like, mm. yeah, to a layman that sofa has probably been viewed a million times in like I don't know psychiatrist waiting rooms or something and yeah they're not going to pay however much I don't know what a original Corbusier sofa cost maybe $50,000 or something so yeah. they're used to the idea of that sofa but for it to actually be signed off for a government project like it just it baffles me yeah, so, yeah. that's diff- that's odd yeah. I'll post it I I, I've been meaning to post it on my Instagram stories I'll uh I'll give it a post tomorrow yeah. and, and see um, okay. see what you guys think. Sure, let's yeah, do that. Cool. <laughs> so that was the first very unscripted, very um, off the cuff <laughs> episode. I think that's probably the 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 one of the looser episodes we've we've done, and yeah. uh, I think we'll stick we'll stick with this format for the rest sure, of the okay. rest of the uh, the season. The a lot of the comments that I got at the end of last season was people, and and this is sort of reading between the lines, is people just enjoyed us talking. Yeah, you know the, the content was is obviously a part of it, but it's more just about having from three familiar voices. So yeah, we'll stick with it and and we'll go. Sure. So uh, yeah, um, I'm super stoked to be back and talking it's been yeah, it's, a, good. it's been a very long time so yeah we'll leave it there and uh, we'll do twice a month what are you guys feeling yeah sounds good sounds good let's, let's do twice a month cool alright everyone take care and uh, we'll see you in the next show see ya see you guys do you know what I've just realized I don't even think I've used the word shop store podcast once in this whole episode <laughs> good. that stays in we are winning <laughs> <laughs> alright see, see you guys